Hello and welcome to episode Vitalia Bramov of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. Today I have an official friend of the show, and that's Ian Mendez of The Athletic, who I believe is making his third appearance here. Ian, how's it going? Uh, that would that would this make it my Mathot appearance? There you go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, hey, listen, Trevor. Always, uh, always great to uh, either connect with you, with, you know, via Twitter or DM, but but certainly to join your show is always uh, a lot of fun for me. Yeah, I always appreciate it, and uh, you know, it's it's always great to chat to to you and so many other people within this community, and you know, it's interesting. I when I was thinking of questions to ask earlier in the week, uh, I was going to save this sort of for last as a bit of a throwaway question but you know now it's front and center and we have to address it ian are you a, a send sicko oh, it's so funny that you meant yeah 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 you asked me that because i uh, reached out to the gang that have you know kind of been the the we'll call it the brains behind it to start i reached out to them today yeah. i said listen i've been meaning to get a whole i meant to do this story about a week ago and I just been put off with some other things, and so I finally got a hold of like you know Brochensky and yep. <laughs> uh, you know that that, that crew, Steve Onsens and uh, all of them. Uh, got a hold of them, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do something next week. But after talking to them, hundred percent, I would say I have to be down with <laughs> being a sensical because I think you know, the thing that I really appreciated from them, and I, and I and I get the same vibe from you, is the whole the whole thing is basically understanding that stuff can be two things like you can you can you can love something but also understand that it's super dysfunctional and that's what mm -hmm. it is and I, I think that's what i really like about this is that it's the understanding and the knowing that this might be a dysfunctional entity with full of warts and holes but you love it and that's what's i think that's what's really cool is that it the sen sickle thing it lacks uh, the cynicism that you saw with some of the Melnick out, right? Like the, the Melnick out was purely True. like anger and hatred. And this is like, no, we still don't trust ownership and we still don't trust all the decision-making, but we love the team. I think if that, if that makes sense. So I, I got a ton of respect for it. And uh, I think it's our job in the media to, to tap into that type of uh, movement. Yeah. I think that's very well put Ian. I think you totally hit the nail on the head where it's, you know, we do recognize that, you know, there is going to be some dysfunctionality and stuff, but, um, you know, just sort of taking pleasure in, in other people's failures, right? Like the past 10 days we've seen, you know, we put Lee's fans just going nuts. We've, you know, fired, gotten Montreal to fire Claude Julien, you know, beating the flame six, one last night. It's just insane. It got to the point where even the Ottawa senators Twitter account, um, I don't, you might know who runs the account now after Craig Mendaglia, but, um, you know, even they posted a thing about the sickos where you know. they uh, photoshopped them into the stands. It's just, I feel like just a couple weeks ago, it was a very niche Twitter thing. And now just everyone knows about it. Yeah, totally. And, that, and it's a cool thing, right? Because I think this is the first time I feel like since probably that run to the, the conference final in 2017, this feels like the first time that there's like legitimate optimism and hope around the team. Yeah. That, that's how I feel. Like, I feel like there's like legit excitement and, and yet, look, we all know that there are some potential issues and problems and, and it's not all smooth sailing, but this is the most excited I've seen the fan base be about the team in a long time, because I feel like you're ready as a group, you are ready to fall in love with Tim Stutzla and Drake Batherson and Josh Norris. And I think you had already fallen in love as a fan base with Brady Kachuk and, and Thomas Shabbat. So I think it's a really cool thing. It's just, it's, you know what? It's nice to get on Sen's Twitter during a game and see a little optimism and see a little bit of fun. I don't, I think we have been robbed as a group. And I, I put myself in there because I think as a media member, you're part of the group. We have been robbed of fun. Right. And robbed of excitement and joy in the last 36 months. It's true, yeah. I mean, even just the first 15 games of the season, I think they had uh, two, two wins, I want to say, in the first 15 games. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, even in that point, you just look at a few weeks ago. I mean, my last episode, you know, I was just so down on the team. And, like, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think they're world beaters or anything right now. But they've just been so much fun the past seven games. And you're right. It's just sort of a bit of a rallying cry with, um, with this fan base where we can sort of, um, you know, band together. And I guess... For the listeners who have no idea what we're talking about or still are a bit confused, um, my pinned tweet on my account is talking about 
there's a website called uh, Sens Lore. I think, is it SensFolklore.com? Something like that. Steve on Sens created this. And there's just a bunch of Ottawa memes on there and stuff like that. So yeah. there's a page explaining it. And so if you go on my profile, you can sort of get the background story for it. But just super funny stuff. And um, yeah, it's just it's just nice to have something to sort of bind us together, I guess. Yeah, and I think, you know, you you look at your favorite moments of being a Sens fan in the last 10 or 12 years, you know, since or since, you know, obviously, depending on your age, if, if you remember the, the cup run in 07 or not, uh, for, yeah. for people listening, but in the last 10 years or so, it's been the pesky Sens, it's been the Hamburglar run, it's been the, the, the run in 2017, uh, and then it's been this. It's been this last week. I, I don't, like, <laughs> I think this is really cool. Like, beating the Habs beating the Leafs, um, making David Riddick pound his head against the wall. Like th this is pretty <laughs> cool stuff for a, a, a fan base that hasn't had a chance to kind of flex against other, uh, other teams. We saw that the Senators DJ used sicko mode song uh, <laughs> during the game. Do you think that's yeah. going to continue? So uh, you know, it's funny because he came over because uh, during the game on uh, Thursday night, so I'm sitting there with Kyle Bacacus, uh, Bacacus of Sportsnet. And Kyle, by the way, if you haven't had Kyle on your podcast, you got to get him on. That guy is mm -hmm. like the nicest guy um, going. Like Kyle is is unreal. And so I'm sitting there, and you know our, our seats are together in in the press box, and we're just chatting as the players are getting off the ice. And both of us stop for a second. We're like, <laughs> wait a minute. Are they playing what we think they're playing? And we're like, oh my gosh. And Kyle's like, yeah, we got to tweet that out. So we, you know, I think I tweeted out and tagged him in it. And then Alex, who does, who uh, is the Sense DJ, he comes down to us kind of in the intermissions. Like, I can't believe you guys, you know, put that out there. My my Twitter feed's blowing up. And 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 I I said like, you know what? This is great. Like this is like for the longest time, Craig Medallia did a fantastic job of engaging the fans from behind yeah. that. Uh, account whether it was instagram twitter he got it and when craig left there was this void where i don't think the fan base felt a sense of connectivity to the social media accounts and that's a crucial element like there was a period mm -hmm. there and I, and I i really don't want to blame the the people in charge of running the account because look it's not you got big shoes to fill like this is like alf this is to me craig is like alfie leaving and it's like hey good luck like you gotta you gotta replace the the Daniel Alfredson of that of that job but there was no voice there was no it, it felt like like they were just randomly tweeting out like it was like a bot almost that was running the account there for like five months but in the last week they've been tapping into it and it's been good and then to, to, to hear it played in the arena last night or on uh, on Thursday night was was phenomenal 100% yeah I mean Craig was just the best and as you say, massive shoes to fill. So certainly not an easy job to for whoever is running right now. Um, but you're definitely right. Hopefully they can sort of um, continue on that momentum that they've that they've built in the last week, last few days here. And speaking of momentum, I just want to talk about the last seven games that they've played. So what are you noticing that's different with them in the last seven games where they've gone five two and zero? Because just in the first fifteen games, they were. You know, you could make a case that they were probably one of the worst Senators teams ever. Yeah. In fact, you look at the win percentage, it was like they were had like a 180 win percentage or something at one yeah. point there. And, and, and they were they were starting to get into the conversation of could this be the worst as bad as the expansion era team, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you look at the last couple of weeks, like I hate to be so simplistic, but I mean, like in last night was uh, Thursday night was a great example. Matt Murray was fantastic. Like, like I think everybody thought when Milan Lucic scored to make it 2-1, I think there wasn't a Senators fan out there who in their mind wasn't like, ah, oh, here we go. Like, that was a bad goal. Here we go. And then, you know, Connor Brown scored, and then Bransom scored from long distance. And and then but Murray was terrific. I actually thought that was Matt Murray's best game, and I think it was kind of lost in that it was a 6-1 game. So when you, when you see a score of 6-1, you very yeah. rarely think of the goaltender, of the winning team. But I, I think Matt Murray was great. So I think he's been pretty good during this uh during this stretch he was really good um i think he played in the, the game that started this whole thing was in winnipeg that's the game where, remember brady kachuk scored with like eight seconds left he like redirected it and it was like from yeah, that yeah it was moment, a good one yeah and then from that moment on obviously then the next game was the toronto comeback and all of that but i just feel like the the shooting percentage 
the luck has changed. Like we were talking about them. I think they were shooting like six and a half percent as a team in the first 15 games, which would have been historically low. And now you look at Batherson's got a goal, I think in four straight games, Brady's scoring. Uh, there was a stretch there where Dadnov was scoring. Um, they're just, the luck changed. And so there's that there's, it feels like there's a greater attention to, to detail on defense where just, they just, they look like a more confident group. And I think, all it took was two or three wins to get them going. But I think when you lose, as they did 12 or 14 to start the year, you're, you're, like, you're just expecting bad things to happen. And now it feels like they're expecting good things to happen. 100%. I mean, in sports, and I mean, obviously, specifically hockey as well, there's going to be so much of a psychological aspect to it, right? And I think... Certainly when you look at the goaltenders, um, Hogberg especially, it's going to get in your head if you're losing that many times. And, um, you know, you touched on the shooting percentage. And, yeah, they, they were, I believe at one point, they were last or maybe second last in the league in shooting percentage. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like, you know, that stuff like that was bound to get better. I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I would expect this upward trajectory where it's, you know, they're just going to keep getting better and better this season. Um, but at the same time, like, it is good to see that they're finally actually winning some games like this is the first time they've won three games in a row I think since November of 2019 so this yeah. is a team that you know hasn't really gotten much momentum at all in the last you know early in this season and and last season as well so uh it, it's nice to see that the players who need to be good for them like who need to be sort of progressing forward are the guys that are actually carrying this team uh recently yeah, I think I think you know what that that's a great point, right? Like because I think at the end of the day, ultimately we were going to judge this team based on the progression of the young guys more than yeah. we were going to we were going to judge them on their record. So even if they and they could still very well finish last in the division, and that's that's fine. But if at the end of the day, if you feel comfortable, like right now, let me put it this way: I'm going to use Drake Batherson as a great example. Coming into this year, there was a hope that Drake Batherson was a top six forward. I think when you've watched him play in the first 20 some odd games, I think you look at him, you're like, yep, that guy's a top six forward. Not maybe a top six forward. No, he is a top six forward. So he's a great example of a guy that has, I think, established himself as a legitimate top six guy. I kind of feel that way about Josh Norris too. Like I think he's at least shown me enough like where he's starting to – to look like he's a legitimate guy. Brady, I'm Brady's Brady. We always knew he was a top six guy. Um, but you get those guys. And then Timmy Stutzla is a lock-it-in first-line player in this league. Like, like, he is going to be, I think, when it's all said and done, he's going to be on that that list of, of Hosa and Spezza and Marty Havlat, whoever we're going to put on the list of the most talented players that were ever drafted by Ottawa, Timmy Stutzla is going to be on that list. So you look at that, and all of a sudden, you feel like, hey, there's four legitimate guys in the top six uh four or five last year at this time we were like oh my god it's only brady kachuk and maybe anthony duclair but that was it like they they didn't have a ton of guys in the top six right that you felt like were legit top six forward so i think it's important that when they're winning these games it's not being done all by dadnov or all by connor brown or all by right like like those guys it's the younger guys. Yeah. And when they went through that stretch of nine, whatever it was, eight or nine straight goals scored by the 22 and under club, that's great. That's There's a different feeling, I think you would agree, when a goal is scored by Batherson, Stutzla, Norris, Kachuk versus anybody else. Because you're like, yeah, it, there's just a better feeling. And I think that's, that's important that they've been able mm -hmm. to um, establish that here in the last two weeks. For sure. And like no disrespect to Erica Branson, but you know, when he, he scored that goal that broke up the streak, it, it was at nine. Um, you know, there was a bit of like, ah, that's too bad. You know, yeah, you're hoping for, yeah. yeah, exactly. Just like, hopefully someone could have, uh, you know, gotten a deflection in front, but whatever. I mean, you're totally right though. There it's, you can actually sort of see that core being built and, you know, just to come back to Drake Batherson for a second too, not even his own shooting percentage, but like his, the shooting percentage of him and his teammates when he was on the ice, I think at his lowest point was at like 3%. So like yeah. even his line yeah. mates were shooting poorly. So, you know, he's got seven points in six games now. That's not surprising at all. Like he, he was playing incredibly well. And so it was kind of crazy to see that 
people were actually talking about oh. the fact that he was a potential scratch. Like, I think Twitter would have lost its mind if that had actually happened. Yeah, I, I, I was always blown away by that because I thought the really savvy hockey fan looked at Drake Batherson that there's a guy who's just, he's getting chances, he's just getting bad luck. Like, it wasn't this guy can't play, this guy, like... I would have been screaming from the hill if they had stapled yeah. Drake Batherson to the bench or or made him a healthy scratch. I think that's the wrong message, right? And I think I think that's a lot for a lot of people. That's kind of how they're feeling a little bit about Christian Wolanin. Where you look at Wolanin and you're like, mm-hmm. why is he not playing? Why is he not uh, part of the uh, the mix? And so it's it's going to be interesting. I think in the next, I'm going to say, well, we're, we're calendar's about to flip the march here, like. I want to know in the month of March. I think we're going to get a, get a good idea on Wolanin, Logan Brown, and Alex Formanton. Are they going to be a part of this team? Are they going to be a part of it now? Are they like what? What's the plan? And all three of those guys, I think, will be a factor. Hopefully, at some point in the month of March. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Let's let's just skip ahead to that for a second then, because I wanted to yeah. touch specifically on Logan Brown and. You know, he's an incredibly polarizing player amongst the fan base. Obviously, with Derek Stepan on the IR, Brown was called up recently, and he didn't play on Thursday. Do you think he's going to get a real shot in Ottawa, though? Or do you think their minds are sort of already made up with him? So even if we if we go down the road of, okay, their minds are made up, they don't believe in Logan Brown, it would behoove them to then put him in a spot where he can succeed, so then you can trade him. If you are so convinced that you're done, mm-hmm. like to to just leave him out of the mix and not put him in, I just, I, I don't know what good that's doing. You, you're you're devaluing the asset, right? Like like if you traded Logan Brown today, what would you get for him? I don't know. I don't know the answer. And so I'm I'm torn. And maybe it's a touch of the, you know, people get a little skittish because they've seen Zabanajad has been pretty good at times with the Rangers and. Um, you, you, you fear that if you give up on Logan Brown, like they could have easily given up on Nick Paul and they didn't. Well, well I mean, they did, but they got lucky that nobody else claimed him. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. The, the same on, uh, you know, you, you look back at guys that took a little bit longer to develop, Mike Hoffman. Um, the difference is those mm-hmm. guys weren't first round picks and they didn't trade up for them. Like there's, there's an expectation that falls on the shoulders of first round picks that, you know, isn't there for, for other people. So I'm fascinated by Logan Brown. I think he's, uh, I think if they, if they, if the organization believed in him, he would have been playing right now. And certainly when Derek Stepan got hurt, he would have been, there's no more excuses now, but Artem and Nisimov, is playing ahead of Logan Brown. So for anybody who wants to know what the org thinks of Logan Brown, there's your answer. That, like That's it. That's the answer. You can't sugarcoat it. You can't yeah. say, we believe Logan is a talented guy. Sure, you might, but you don't think he's one of your best four uh, centers when Derek Stepan's not in the mix. So actions speak louder than words, and the action that I'm you know, reading is that you don't believe in Logan Brown. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing, I mean, this is sort of my gut feeling as well, and I would assume it would be yours as well, that he probably won't be an Ottawa senator come, like, the fall. Yeah, like, that's a, that's a great, I mean, I'm fascinated by the, the, we're going into an expansion draft, right? Where I don't know who's going to stay and who's not. I mean, Logan obviously is, is going to be an interesting asset. Um, if Like, like. If I was Seattle, that's the type of guy I'd want, though, right? Like a potential second first-line centerman, upside, you know, American kid. Like I, It's kind of like an Alex Tuck-like guy who, you know, sort yeah. of lie, sorry, buy low on him from Minnesota. You know, he wasn't really established in Minnesota either, and I think uh, that could certainly happen. Yeah, so again, I, I don't know, like – 
because there's the expansion draft, because he's an RFA, because like, I just, I, I'd be surprised. Like Ottawa's got Shane, like, and you listen to all the talk around Shane Pinto and you think, okay, let's just stop here for a second and, and look at where this team could be 18 months from now. Tim Stutzla is going to be a center. The, the plan is Tim Stutzla is a centerman. Okay. So Stutzla is your number one centerman. There, like, there's not even a debate about that. If there, if he's a centerman, he's number one. He's not your number two. He's number one. So yeah. Stutzla's at one. I think Josh Norris or Shane Pinto can be your two. Colin White has really elevated his game. And I think when this team is ready to compete, Colin White is your number three guy. He's perfect. I think he's probably paid like a number two. Whatever. I, Colin White, I think, can, can, can be a 40-point centerman in this league and play both ways and be really responsible. So as you look at this, you ask, you start to ask yourself, okay, Stutzla, uh, Josh Norris, Colin White, uh, you know, Pinto. Well, there's four right there. Like, wh- where is Logan Run even fitting into the mix? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I tend to agree with you. I don't, I don't know where he's going to potentially fit in. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a bit frustrating at points. Like, I think, and I'm sure he's frustrated as well. Like, I can't say that he's like guaranteed to be an NHL player or like that I 100% believe in him. But I do still think, and and you sort of mentioned this earlier too, that it would just be pointless to give up on him without at least seeing what he can do for, you know, 10 to 15 games or whatever. Because, you know, if he doesn't really show much in that span, then okay, you send him back down or you try to trade him or something. But I don't know, it would just be a bit strange to sort of put all that time and effort into developing yeah. him over these past like almost five years and then just kind of give up on him when I don't know it looked like last year he had so many games where he barely missed the net hit a couple posts whatever like his underlying results weren't actually that bad just definitely a lot of bad luck so you're right I think long term he probably doesn't fit with a team um but it is a bit weird that it just seems like they don't really want to give him a, a shot even if they well, and actually, I, I want to get into this part of it, too, is, like, what do you say about his supposed work ethic? Because I've seen a lot of people question how hard he works. Like, do you think there's actually any merit to that? Because it could be true, but I don't know. Like, there has to be. Like, I guess this is my point. In the absence of, like, smoking gun, tangible, concrete evidence of why Logan Brown is being held out of the lineup, we need to then start making assumptions like like yeah. there's no reason why a guy of his talent and his magnitude of, of 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 an impact player there's no reason why like saturday afternoon why is that guy not centering timmy stutzla and drake batherson in a rebuilding year in which the guy that you thought was going to help you out and Derek Stepan's out indefinitely you're going with artem and nisimov like so obviously you have an issue with this young man now, I don't know what that is, but there's there's no way that you're trying... Like, th- the idea that you're dangling a carrot in front of Logan Brown, that ship has sailed. That th- this, He's been through, whatever, five training camps. You don't... Like, at some point, you either He's 23 to, years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He turns 20, 23 next week, right, I think? So, yeah. at some point, you need to either... Give that asset the opportunity, but and I think that would be my approach. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't run a hockey operations department. I don't know the inner workings. I certainly don't know what is going on underneath the hood with Logan Brown. So, like for me to say, I give him ten games with Stutzel and Batherson and see what he can do. Well, great, but I don't know the inner workings of what's really mm-hmm. going on. Only they know. So all we can do is is look at it and make some assumptions. And the assumption is. They are not happy with him on some level. But it can't be because of productivity because he's never really played. Yeah, no, it's true. And that's, you know, it kind of puts fans in a, in a weird situation where you sort of have to do that assuming, like you're saying. And it's, you know, it, it makes debates kind of, I don't know, sometimes they're a bit disingenuous and sometimes it's just, I don't know, it can be a bit frustrating. But yeah, it, it seems like he's just a guy that isn't really going to, be around much longer but it'll be fascinating to see you know how they treat him for the next couple months the rest of the season um but yeah and now coming back to I, I wanted to 
briefly mention, and you sort of mentioned a few of them as well, but are there other guys in the past, I guess like six, seven games or so, that have really impressed you that we haven't really mentioned yet? In the past six, seven games, like, I mean, listen, like, like for me, number one with a bullet is Drake Batherson. Like, uh, above Kachuk, because Kachuk is exactly what, like, nothing Brady Kachuk does surprises me or impresses yeah. me anymore because the bar is so high and he meets it every time. That guy is unreal. Batherson, for sure, for me, has has done a lot. Colin White has done a lot for me because he went from a guy that I didn't know if he was going to play, what's his deal. I've liked him. Uh, I, I, and again, Nick Paul is has just become a consummate. Like you know what I would say I, when when this team is ready to compete, my dream third line would be Nick Paul, Colin White, and Connor Brown. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that, <laughs> right? Like that'd yeah. be that'd be a super cool third line because. And I like Connor Brown. Like poor Connor Brown. Like if that guy could finish. <laughs> We're having a different conversation, but that his instincts, his anticipation, his ability to kill penalties, he is elite in that sense. He, he doesn't have elite finishing, but he's like your prototypical third line guy. So I've been impressed with, with those guys. Um, and then on the back end, I mean, I, I think everybody's on the Artem Zub trade and it's been fun. I, I didn't think he had his best game against Calgary on Thursday, but um, he's been, a, you know, I look back and I, I wonder to myself, if you had played Artem Zub before you did, I'm not saying you'd be a playoff team, but what, what, like, what would have happened? Like, what, like, yeah. what was, the, what was the issue with not playing? I, again, I, maybe he was getting orders from above. I don't know, but um, I, I have been really impressed with him. And you know, the other guy too is Nikita Zaitsev deserves some credit. Like that guy mm-hmm. has just slid in here, and he's been sneaky good. This season, and he doesn't have the flash of a uh, Shabbat or a Bransom or a Willannon or whatever. But uh, yeah, I I have liked Nikita Zaitsev's game this season. Mm-hmm. I have to agree, and you know I've been one of Zaitsev's big, biggest critics, um, you know, in his first year here, and you know, gotta give him credit because he the results are there actually so far. I don't know how much I would trust them moving forward, but it, you know we still have to give him credit for that and. You know what? It's really interesting, Ian, is that, you know, for those first, well, I guess just coming into the season, the right side D was yeah. Zaitsev, Good Branson, Josh Brown. I mean, there was like not a single guy you could trust there. Like, it looks brutal. I mean, it still doesn't look great. But now you have Artem Zubin there, who, like, I think can be a solid, like, second pairing guy. Zaitsev looks at least passable. And then you think about maybe Jacob Bernard Docker comes in at the end of the season once uh, college is up, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, right side isn't looking so terrible. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like you got to get to that point where, and like, and the the tricky thing is, you know, Josh Brown has another year on his deal. Yeah. Um, you know that that you know. Hey, listen, you you do always need a seventh defenseman, so it is what it is. But yeah, I think going into the season. That right side of the D was the biggest. I think when I talked to some people in January, and I said, "What like what's your like what's your biggest concern on Ottawa?" and everybody was like, "That that defense is the the thinnest in the league." I was like, "Okay," and I, I didn't disagree. I just thought it was unbelievable. It was unequivocal from everybody. That defense is terrible. <laughs> it wasn't even yeah. it wasn't even the questions about Matt Murray, which were also there. It was, that is the worst top six in the league. And I thought, okay, well, we'll see. And I think in the first 10 games or 12 games, it came to pass. 100%, that was the Achilles heel of this team. But in the last seven or eight games, they've been pretty good. Like, Brandstrom has had his ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Shabbat has his ups and downs. But like it hasn't, been, it hasn't been a weak point for this team. And that's been an encouraging sign. Yeah, you swap out Coburn and Brown for Branstrom and Zub. Makes a big difference. Yeah. So, and even Mike Riley, you know, he he has his lapses too, but you know, he's actually been one of the best uh, amongst amongst their defensemen in terms of like expected goals and stuff like that. So, you know, as you say, hasn't been hasn't been too bad of late and um I don't know, will be very interesting to watch the rest of the way cuz I don't really know what to to make of them. But yeah, so like certainly some very impressive performances of late. Now, a similar situation to the Logan Brown 
um, I guess, trade talks, you want to call them. Um, a similar, similar situation was the Philip Schlopik situation, which sort of came out of nowhere. So I'm sure, as, as everyone knows, he was placed on waivers for the purpose of mutually terminate, terminating his contract, which they did today. Ian, what can you tell us about that and how it even got to that point? Yeah, like, so what it tells, like, when, when you see two sides agree to mutually terminate a contract and move on, like, it tells me that the player wasn't happy, but I, again, I don't know what's the genesis of it. Is it, I wish I was in the NHL? Is it, this pandemic is really hard on me? There's a mental health, like, I don't know. Like, so, yeah, in not knowing what's going on, I'm hesitant to say, oh my gosh, the Senators have lost an asset for nothing or they've cut bait with... Like, there, there's something under the hood here with Philip Schlappick. There's something... There's a story there. And the fact that neither side is opening up leads me to believe that it might be personal in nature. And if it is personal in nature, it's not our business to poke around. But it's interesting to me that in the last little bit, Philip Schlappick, Christian Yarosh, Maxime Lejoie, Rudolph Balsers, yeah. guys that, like, I wouldn't have said that you're going to build around them, but they were classic depth guys, right? They're all gone. Like, if you told me six months ago, eight months ago, that Schlappick, Balsers, Lejoie, and uh, Yarosh are all gone, and you really don't have anything back for them, I'd be like, what? Really? What mm-hmm. happened? But that that's that's what happened. And I, I always liked Philip Schlappick. I thought he, like, I kind of thought he'd be a nice fourth-line guy he could skate i i always liked him i i i feel like they're like i wonder if he's if he goes back to europe it would it would lead me to believe and i hate to use the term homesick because it doesn't it it makes it seem like he's a 12 year old away from camp or you know summer camp but (laughs) but i i i wonder if like i i just i can't help but wonder what the impact of the pandemic has been on young people and especially young people that are away from home, away from family. And if you imagine you feel slapping and one of these may seven, was he making 70 grand in the AHL and you're stuck isolated and you're playing yeah, in Belleville and you're not like, I don't know what's going through the young man's head, but maybe he reached a point where he was like, I need to get out. And if, and I have nothing but respect uh, for him if that's what happened. But again, I don't know. So in the absence of, of, of knowing all you can do is assume, and unfortunately, that can be a dangerous game too. So, it's just it's it's too bad that they've lost uh, a handful of assets here uh, in the last few months for really nothing uh, nothing in return. Totally, yeah, and I was definitely a Shalopic fan as well. And you know, just sharing my thoughts on Twitter, like, I mean, obviously, like, I'm upset. I'm not acting as if the world is ending or anything. And I, and I think a lot of people sort of share my sentiment where it was like you know, just really too bad and, you know, didn't seem like the greatest management in terms of um, how he was utilized and stuff like that. But again, as you say, he wasn't someone they were going to build around. He was certainly going to be capped as like a fourth line player. Um, I do think it's interesting that like, you don't really see many European guys in his mold where they're like fourth line players who are just sort of like checkers and have like a bit of offensive upside. So I genuinely wonder, you know, like how different his career would be if he was North American. Um, Because, you know, I was looking at his results last year. There's only two players on the Senators who hit more like per game uh, or per per 60 minutes, I should say. And that was Scott Sabra and JC Bodan. So like, this is not a guy who was soft or you know like couldn't couldn't hack it on in a fourth line role like he was he put up good defensive results um you know didn't have a ton of points obviously but you know it, it would have been nice to see him get a, a bit of a chance he, he got that one game this year so yeah like it's it's not gonna change the course of of their team but it is i don't know i had a bit of a soft spot for him especially yeah. because he had shown offensive upside in a few seasons and um, you know, like you could have made the case in what season would it have been? I guess in seventeen eighteen, Colin White and and him sort of played around the same amount of games. And to be honest, like Schlappick was a bit more impressive than White, so it's it's a bit surprising that he just sort of never really, you know, he he didn't like in in one season he only had six points in thirty one games. So it's not as if Ottawa didn't give him any chance. Um, 
but it is kind of interesting to see how much they've diverged since then. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he, he was just a, like, like Balsers too, like they're just useful players, right? And they yeah. don't cost you a lot. And um, like I always was the, of the opinion, I'd rather see those guys than Galchenyuk, than Cedric Paquette, yeah, and exactly. you know whoever that that was just my opinion. So it's too bad. Uh, I hope he ends up somewhere, if, whether it's an NHL team or back in Europe or whatever. I just hope he gets a chance. And and the fact that he terminated his contract leads you to believe uh, he might already know of an opportunity somewhere. You know, for sure. Yeah, wish him all the best. Um, now, one of the biggest storylines this season was or has been the just atrocious goaltending, and you know it's been better of late. You know, Matt Murray has an 8.88 save percentage and Marcus Hogberg somehow even worse at 8.59. So what do you what do you think about this tandem so far and what do you think their true talent levels are? Well, I think the if you talk to people from Pittsburgh, and as I kind of tried to at the end, uh, you know, when they got Matt Murray, the one thing they came back and said the last two years of Matt Murray, um, injuries and inconsistency. If they were to pick two things to... Uh, identify what Matt Murray was in Pittsburgh at the end. It was injuries and inconsistency. And I think if you look at his first two months in Ottawa, you would say injuries and inconsistency, right? Like it's uh, he mm-hmm. was hurt there for a bit. Uh, when he's good, he's good. When he's bad, he's bad. And I think maybe it makes you understand uh, how lucky this market was to have Craig Anderson's stability for a long time. Like up until about a year ago, like Craig Anderson was giving every night you pretty much like there was very, it was very rare in the Craig Anderson era where he would play and he would be bad. Then he'd come back and be bad again. Like it was, it was, it was very, it was like he was, he would have this odd, yeah. his odd bad game, but it was never like two or three in a row. And that's what we've seen out of Matt Murray. It's been two or three great games, two or three bad games, a good game, two bad games, two good games, a bad game. So that's the kind of roller coaster that we're learning to ride here a little bit with him in goal. For sure. Yeah, and I think a kind of worrying statistic for me is his goal save above expected, which to, that's what like probably my favorite goaltending statistic now is he's at negative 12. So meaning like for, for, for you know listeners who might not know, he's pretty much saved or pretty much allowed 12 more goals than he's expected to based on, you know, where the shots are coming from. And, and that kind of adds up because early on, especially there were just so many goals where guys coming down the wing and you just think, man, how did he not stop that? So, um, I, yeah, he certainly has been better of late, but you know, it is a bit worrisome that this is a guy that you gave a lot of money to, especially for a cash strap team. You know, they, they really committed to him. So like, I mean, I guess we can sort of touch on Hogberg as well, but just looking ahead to the expansion draft, I mean, who would you even protect? Boy, I mean, I I think if you left Murray exposed, I don't know that Seattle takes him. I think there's going to be yeah. a lot of good goalies available um, in the expansion draft. Look at like there's like Vegas is going to have to make a decision or like, look, so I don't think you have to work. Look, let me put it this way. If you have two goalies with sub 900 save percentages, no, no one's taken them. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so don't don't worry too much about that. About that, um, it's too bad. Like I always thought at the time, like Matt Murray would have been a perfect one year contract. Bring him in, hey, one year, four million, five, even five million, heck, even six million, one year. You come in, let's see what you can do. If you're great, we'll reward you. If not, we can't. But they obviously felt like. They uh, they were confident in him. I like uh, the the only thing I'll say about Matt Murray that I really like. There's a degree of accountability with him that he comes on. Like there was a one night where he wasn't even supposed to come on our Zoom call. He like busted in and he was like, "Hey guys, just want you to know this is on me. I screwed up tonight." And we're like, "Did mm. you ask for Matt Murray?" I was like, "No, I didn't ask for Matt Murray. He just came on there." And so there's a degree of like responsibility i know that that may not sit well or that may not hold a lot of water with fans but what it's showing me is there's a guy who really cares there's a guy who's not just got his four-year 25 million dollar deal he's like "Ah, i'm gonna put my feet up and whatever happens happens he cares he wants to get back and i i think we should all like you know i think he losing his dad at a young age seemed to really impact him Uh, the injuries have seemed to impact him I think we all like he seems like an easy guy to cheer for. And I think 
I think yeah. he's just somebody who just he's lacking some confidence right now. And when he gets it, he's good. And when he doesn't have it, he, it's the one position in sports you don't want to see somebody without confidence, right? As, as a goalie in hockey. For sure. And I think it's c- kind of wild to to think that Hogberg was probably going through those exact same things. He just looked like completely lost out there. And I, I just felt so bad for him because you could just tell he was fighting every save. And, you know, hopefully he isn't out too long as well. But yeah, as you say, definitely a, a good guy to root for in Murray. Like, I mean, we sort of have to too, right? Like, yeah. you know, we, we got him for the next four years. But yeah, I, I guess, I mean, so so would you be taking Joey Decord then, I guess, in the expansion draft? Boy, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm so curious to see, and I don't know when we're going to see Joey Decord play. Maybe he does the, because they play Monday against Calgary, Tuesday against Montreal. Yeah. Maybe maybe we see Joey Decord. If I had to guess, maybe you see Joey Decord Monday against Calgary as I try to map out the goaltending picture i'm curious to see what he can bring to the table like i think um it's always it's always fun and exciting in, in a year in which you don't care too much about the standings I, like I, I think joey played one game a couple of years ago if i'm not mistaken i think he lost to buffalo uh came at the end of the year played a game yeah, yeah. like uh, i'm curious to see what he brings to the table but i just i don't think ottawa needs to worry about losing anybody uh <laughs> in in the crease in the uh, in the expansion draft for sure, yeah, and they, and they probably won't. So, um, funnily enough, you could probably say the same thing about D because, I mean, this is miles down the road, but they get, they have to protect three and really only got to worry about Shabbat um, and Willannon, I guess, but that third spot will be, they don't really need to protect anyone. So now, just sort of moving on to what we can hope for the rest of the way. And obviously Ottawa's miles out of a playoff spot and, you know, barring another crazy Hamburglar run or maybe a sicko run, playoffs aren't happening this year, but there's still things to watch out for and be hopeful for. So what do you think are some things that fans should be cheering for the rest of the way? First of all, I won't say they're miles out of a playoff spot. I'll say they're kilometers. Okay? Yeah. Okay. It's, 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 Cause it's a North division and there you I, go. <laughs> it, uh, it may not be, you know, one, they might be one kilometer away from a playoff spot rather than one mile. And that's, uh, it's a little bit of a shorter distance. So you never know. <laughs> um, the things I'd like to look for in the, in the last half of the season, I think the number one would be goaltending. You'd like to see it stabilized so that you go into the summer knowing that Matt Murray can be your guy. So that'd be number one. Uh, number two, I, I want to see Tim. I don't care what people say. I want to see Tim Stutz to play some center. I do. I, if that's yeah. your plan, if you want to see that guy play center, I want to see him play some center. Uh, so at some point, I'd like to see him play center. And I'd like to see um, I, one game where your back end has Thomas Shabbat, Eric Brands from Christian Wolanin. Just one time. Yes. <laughs> I just want to know what does it look like? What does it feel like? Uh, so, you, you know, get that going there. I don't like the last couple of trade deadlines. They've had Pajot and Stone, Duchesne and Dezingle. Like they've had huge. They, Ottawa has been the team to watch around the trade deadline the last two or three years. This year, I don't know. I guess it's the Zingle. I guess it's Mike Riley, but there, there isn't a ton to move out yeah. this time around. And Stepan's shoulder is out of its socket, so that's basically takes him out of the equation, right? For 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 being a, a guy they could trade. So really, the only thing I'm looking for is what I've seen in the last two weeks, which is just play the kids, ride the ride them out, and uh, and 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 try to get them into the the top. Iron out your top six and your top four on D. And your top goalie in the in the next you know ten weeks, pretty much, yeah. And there's certainly a lot of guys to sort of keep an eye on. And yeah, I'd love to see Stutzla at center. I think I wouldn't necessarily count on Norris and or Stutzla like um, being a Calder finalist, but they're up there right now, so that's something to at least keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, I, I think you know I mentioned earlier JBD. I think maybe him or Pinto could come up at the end of the year. So that would certainly be pretty fun to watch in the last, you know, five, six, seven games or whatever it would be. Yeah. Oh yeah. JBD, even JBD playing for like a week would be awesome. Like we saw it with Willannon a couple of years ago. Um, It's fun. It's fun watching a college kid come up and play. So yeah, that good, good point. That would be something for sure. Yeah. And you know, it's just good that over the past couple of weeks, we can sort of breathe a bit, right? Like it's, it's nice that it's not, you know, I'd be lying if I said all my cynicism is gone or anything. Like, I'm certainly very much there. But, you know, there, there's things to root for and there's, 
at least good storylines and you know we're seeing the bromance with Kachuk and Stutzla and it's it's good to see them the players themselves also having some fun and um you know feels like a normal season now exactly yeah the fun that's the, the one word you use are fun that we haven't had that word yeah in the vocabulary the last couple of years it's uh, it's been fun to uh to have it back for sure and now, one more very important thing I wanted to touch on, Ian, and that's the tragic passing of Sens fan Brian Fraser, who sadly passed away on Thursday night. Um, did you ever get a chance to meet him? And what do you think he meant to the hockey community in Ottawa? Yeah, you know, Trevor, uh, you know, when I worked at TSN 1200, Brian came in as an intern with us seven years ago, six, seven years ago. And just, you know, was such a sports fan and used to just be on us all, all the time. It was almost like he was like this little puppy who was just constantly, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, beating down our door, trying to, to uh, you know, get, glean as much information as, uh, from us as possible. And, uh, you know, ended up getting a job across the hall from us at CFRA. So we would see him come in. You know, he'd come in with his Senators jerseys, New Orleans Saints stuff. And, uh, you know, he would, he would trash Lever Sage and I because we're a big Cowboys fan. So anytime... <laughs> Cowboys lost, which was most uh, Sundays. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd hear from Fraser, And um, obviously when he decided to go public with his, his battle, it was, uh, it was a big deal. And, uh, you know, for him to use his final weeks and months on this earth to advocate for, for you know, Canadian blood services and uh, that type of thing, is, it's, um, it means a lot. And, you know, a uh, couple of us went yeah. down to see him a few weeks ago. Uh, went to his place in uh, Brockville, sat in his garage uh, because of COVID and um, you know, had a nice conversation with him and, um, you know, that was unfortunately the last time I saw him was, it was in January. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that I, I just tweeted this out tonight, you know, Bo you know, Bobby Ryan texted me today and, and Bobby is somebody who kind of knew Brian's story. And, and Bobby said, Hey, listen, I see the money on the board. Do me a favor. He's like, you know, I'm not on Twitter. Can you just let people know? I, I, I want to support this and I want, you know, so I tweeted that out. But when I went to visit Brian last month, one of the things I texted Bobby I said, "Hey, do you mind jumping on a little FaceTime with 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 Brian?" And he did. And, and Bobby's like, "Of course." And that's the type that's of awesome. impact that that Brian had on people is that you know the Bobby Ryan's of the world. Or the, you saw the uh, DJ Smith today leading off his press conference. Uh, the players doing that tick tap. Uh, what, what, what Brian did in 26 years on this earth has surpassed what a lot of people have done in twice or three or four times the amount of time. So um, the takeaway is. Um, Understand the fragility of life. Understand um, that tomorrow is not guaranteed, and don't put off the things that you want to do because there there may not be a tomorrow. So I I was so moved by all the things that um, uh, that Brian has done, and and just to see the the warm words from from people, and 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 you know I know he's he's very good friends with Callum Fraser, who uh, NHL.com writer, and uh, and mm -hmm. you know Callum's done a wonderful job, I think, and. Um, you know, supporting his friend during the last few months. So it, it has been something that has brought the Sens community closer together. And um, just uh, very much like Jonathan Petra. Um, he's, he's a guy that I don't think will ever be forgotten. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for the beautiful words there, Ian. Um, you know, I never got to meet him personally, unfortunately, but he seemed just like such a fun and genuine person to be around. And I'm happy that he at least got to see, you know, how many people cared about him and, yeah. You know, that he got to spend the last few months appreciating everything in life. But, yeah, it's it's gut-wrenching news. And, you know, my heart obviously goes out to all of his family members and obviously an, an incredibly difficult time. But as you say, certainly brought people, a lot of people together. Um, and, yeah, he certainly won't be forgotten. Now, it's obviously unfortunate to end on such a sad note. And, you know, th there's no easy way to easily, easily and seamlessly transition to this last part here. But... You know, maybe let the listeners know where they can find you if yeah. for some odd reason they don't follow you and if um, you have anything coming up in the near future. Yeah, listen, I've got, uh, you know, I, you know, I do the, the, the podcast Mondays and Thursdays with Haley, uh, Mondays with Haley Salvian, uh, Thursdays with Sean McIndoo, who most people know as Down Goes Brown. Uh, we have a ton of fun doing the athletic hockey show. Uh, that's our podcast. And then, you know, writing all the time for the athletic. So if you're not familiar with it, it's, uh, you know, obviously it's a pay uh, paywall subscription, but we hope that uh, what we provide is is worth the, you know, four or five dollars a month that uh, that that we're asking for. So yeah, listen, I got some. I do a Monday column every every Monday. That's why it's a Monday column, <laughs> and just kind of looking at the week that was with the Senators. Uh, I got a, a hopefully I think a nice feature with Anthony Duclair and 
Panthers general manager Bill Zito coming out this weekend where I had a chance to talk to both of them about uh, Anthony finally feeling like he's welcome somewhere in the NHL. And um, yeah, I got some other uh, piece on hopefully on the, the sicko uh, phenomenon coming out next week too. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, for the listeners, if for some reason you haven't subscribed to The Athletic already, definitely get on, get on that. It's, it's definitely worth it. Um, but Ian, I always appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Definitely one of the best in the business, and I'm glad to have you on as one of the main writers for the Senators. Yeah, listen, like I said, Trevor, always, always love talking to you. Uh, and, and maybe for that matter, uh, we're we're really lucky to have so many uh, passionate, talented, uh, you know, podcasters and bloggers that 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 follow this team uh, as religiously and as closely as uh, as we do in the mainstream media. And I, I think people like you uh, do a really good job of forcing people like me to be better at my job because uh, <laughs> you 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 have great co- you have great content uh, and I, I said this to you know I'll say this to Callum Fraser and uh, I say this to uh, you know all the guy all, uh, there's a great group of young people who cover this team that make the old guys like me you make me better so I always appreciate coming <laughs> on and uh, anytime you need me you you just don't uh, don't be a stranger that means a lot Ian thanks a lot as I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost for Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at Silver7Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CPPointcast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. Keep it up, you send sickos. Adios.